Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Welcome to the WSO Weekly Wrap-Up, where I talk with my team about the five most trending discussions in the Wall Street Oasis community. Enjoy. So first things first, everyone, Goldman Sachs layoffs is what was trending the topic as number one uh, for this week. So guys, uh, feel free to give us your opinion here. What does it say about the work culture of Goldman and how does it affect the employees? Patrick, you go first. Yeah, I don't think uh, this really has much to say about anything about the culture of Goldman. I know some people in the forums were pissed off because of the way people were let go. They actually, I think some of them went into lobby and they couldn't, their key cards weren't working is what I heard, which is kind of crazy. Uh, Nabil, have you ever seen that or heard anybody? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the usual stuff in finance, right? They just take you to your, I mean, they don't even take you to your desk sometimes. They just like, you can, uh, you can, I mean, they'll take you to the office and they'll be like, yeah, you can get off now. I and think they usually send, send an, I don't know. Yeah, the box and the escorted by security is pretty normal, but um, yeah. I don't know, Sarah, how well, do they do it in Lebanon? Uh, <laughs> do they kick you out right away? Plenty of layoff here. <laughs> There's what? There's a lot of people laid off? Yeah. How, do you know how they do it or no? Um, they are doing well, actually. Yeah. They're used to. <laughs> They're used to it. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, we basically like, I think in the US, I remember in the great financial crisis, like Lehman, I think everyone just had to go in and get their stuff, but they were, I don't think their key cards didn't work. So Goldman maybe could be a little more smooth around, like letting people know. Because I think, I mean, that's pretty... Pretty tough. I got some I got some insider info here, Pat. I actually know someone from Goldman uh, in oh. NYC working on their S, uh, sales and trading desk. And what they said uh, happened uh, last week was actually just a simple tap on the shoulder. They walked through the aisles there on the trading desk. And if you get tapped on the shoulder, um, that pretty much means you're you're one of the few that's uh, going to be let go. So they tap you on the shoulder. They bring you into a boardroom with whatever it was, specifically on the S&T desk, maybe 50, 60 people. And then in, in one shot, kind of let them uh, let them know. I think it's extremely organized the way they do this for for the main thing around, you know, not wanting to take any information with you as you're leaving, because naturally Goldman's laying off people. There may be some firms that are, uh, you know, looking at that and may want to poach some, some top talent there if yeah. they are still maybe in a hiring mode. So they want to make sure they really mitigate that risk. But yeah, from what I heard, it's simply just a tap on the shoulder, and then uh, I'm pretty sure your heart sinks, and then you know what's coming next within the next. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think Goldman was in the same position as a lot of other banks. They overhired, and now they're kind of stuck in this position where the you know the crazy deal flow in 2020, 2021. So now they're kind of cutting ranks, and I, I don't think it says much about the culture. I think it's a very commonplace. I think just people haven't lived through a recession in so many years that it's kind of like yeah. they forget. But it was very similar back in. Uh, 2008 when i was still i know mean, i was around and get the grades to show for it but let's let's well, actually yeah speaking on that actually pat mentioning that you know a lot of the workforce hasn't really been around um since the or at least participated through a recession um around like incoming analysts now how do you think these are these incoming analysts are going to be affected by these layoffs they're seeing these headlines they're seeing it in the forums us talking about it right now um what do you think that means for them in terms of their career development and them even just entering the workforce 
I think they're just going to have to keep much, you know, more open mind. I think basically the intern offer rates are going to plummet um, from, you know, 80s, 90% in some classes down to 50% and or the number of summer analysts is going to, is going to drop a lot. And I think some firms will decide just to lower the offer rate. Other firms will decide, hey, let's just cut our intern class in half so we don't have a low offer rate. But either way, it's just going to be more competitive to get in. So, how yeah, in term, yeah, in terms of uh, what about even just the, the psyche of these analysts coming in? I'm I'm in the boat that they already know what they're getting themselves into, kind of getting into uh, going into Goldman. It's going to be cutthroat, um, and that's just how it is. I, I think Goldman's kind of known as as the big leagues, like you've made it type thing. Just like being in the NBA, NHL, NFL. Yeah, I think it's just harder to get in. I think once you're in, it's like, I think there's a little bit more of uh, maybe appreciation of like having the job in the first place rather than just looking to hop right away. I think it's maybe a little bit harder to hop, Um, but maybe not. I mean, if the private equity funds still have a lot of dry powder to put to work and they still have a similar number of associate spots with smaller analyst classes, it might actually be a little bit less competitive for private equity recruiting, which would be kind of an interesting dynamic to play out but we'll see um let's jump let's go to the next all right guys great conversation there so next topic that was in the community how many people actually make it so specifically here um you know a lot of people are actually trying to figure out you know is there longevity in this career of investment banking so how does the expectation change as people get older and more experienced in the field specifically Uh, any comments there yeah i'd like to read a uh, one of the top comments from poff because i think i really kind of agree with it. It says, uh, this doesn't fully answer the original question. But the, uh, with the exception of a few professions, the best way to make it, in quotes, is through ownership. That doesn't mean you need to be an entrepreneur necessarily, but you eventually need to position yourself where you're given the opportunity to be an equity partner. Some of the professions like law are easier to distinguish these types of roles because they have partner in their title, but there's also a fair amount of smaller mid-sized companies that offer equity to key employees and leadership. So, you know, startup, early stage companies, hand these types of packages out more easily to lower level employees, but have a higher degree of uncertainty. Um, Poff said that, you know, he thinks the sweet spots are privately held or PE backed companies in the hundred to $500 million revenue range. Um, they're already established and profitable businesses that are competing for talent with larger, more well-known companies and willing to give equity in lieu of public company RSUs, you know, one to 2% of equity at the right company at the right time can prove extremely lucrative, especially if you're fortunate, lucky enough to do it a couple of times once you're at a more senior level. Um, and, and he points out that these roles are much more achievable versus uh, hoping you'll be at a Fortune 500 C level exec. So I'm obviously biased as an entrepreneur. I think uh, I, I agree. I think your your path to wealth is much easier when you have um, when you're obviously. Well, I, I think that's the thing there, Pat. Where it's like, how do you define wealth? Right? There's people that in this world, you know, making three to four hundred thousand dollars a year, which to them are going to think is well, they're wealthy, and other people in other parts of the world, or even just within North America think that's the dream. Um, but what I like to challenge now is I think, you know, that's definitely not enough in, in especially today's times to consider yourself wealthy or to really quote unquote, make it feed up and, and not really have to do anything. I think it's, there's actually a really good conversation. And unfortunately I can't remember it now on the forum with all about owning assets, but specifically like revenue generating assets and in, in, in the forms of like businesses. Yeah. And that's where you really, um, have that generational wealth or even just wealth for, for your immediate family where you truly make it. Cause I think at the end of the day, you could be getting paid a salary of three to $400,000 a year. But if you still have that obligation to show up at work every day, report to a boss, report to owners, I, I don't think that's necessarily making it. 
personally, is my opinion. Yeah, maybe. I, and there's people who are making 200, 300, they live paycheck to paycheck, believe it or not. Yep. <laughs> so uh, they still feel swiping that, that Swiping that credit card. Yeah, they get drinks they at the get bar every week. Lifestyle creep, whatever you want to call it, um, it happens. Um, and so, and, and kids happen, and they're expensive. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, I heard something. Question. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Go ahead, Sarah. Um, actually, when I was reading about this discussion uh, on our website, I came across uh, a comment that uh, said, uh, "You really make it." when you uh, reach the human status uh, on Wall uh, <laughs> Street. <laughs> yeah, that's another, you, you, when you have enough silver bananas that you actually, yeah, you reach human status. That's the true making it, right? Yeah, but the question is, uh, um, how hard do you think, uh, or uh, when do you think it is, uh, uh, when you make it as an investment banker? I think once you have your own clients, I think if you're an analyst, even an associate, even a VP level, until you're generating your own business and you're a revenue generating banker, I think you haven't really made it. Nabil's nodding. Do you agree, Nabil? Because um, then you can still be cut. I mean, you can still be let go in these layoffs. Perfect example. Like a lot of the mid-level are the people who are cut. They keep the cheap labor, the analyst level, and they keep the MDs. Yeah, but then like bouncing off what Ma was saying, like even if you're like a partner, you still have to run behind people getting those. Ma it's not like a steady stream of revenue. You could be let go once you stop like bringing in that revenue. Yeah. So like you still have to put in like a lot of uh, go on these meetings, fly across. Yeah, but then if you look at like some other like more passive investments, like then you don't have to like work as much. You don't have to worry about getting. Oh, I hundred percent like, agree that estate. banking is not the like end all be all of making it. And even yeah. as a stepping said, stone, as a, stepping stone. Yeah, exactly. Stepping stone. Yeah, yeah, but even as an MD, like, you know, I remember at Rothschild, my MD was probably bringing in five to 10 million a year, but did he ever see his kids? Um, probably not because he was there at yeah. 4 a.m. telling me, you know, to put a comma in footnote number seven on page 248 of a book, like not exaggerating. <laughs> like that's literally what, what it was. And so, you know, when there's that much, you know, there's not, not as much balance work life. It's just really work, work. Um, yeah, it's tough. Well, well, for anyone, I guess anyone that's probably curious here, anyone that's crazy enough to want to become an MD in an investment bank and really sign away your life, um, how how do how would you guys say you position yourselves within a within a firm to eventually you know get the opportunity to become an equity partner? Any thoughts on that? I think learn. Yeah, learn. Uh, stack your skills. Become indispensable. Um, just bring value. I think revenue generating, uh, you know, cost cutting, whatever it is. I think that's always going to be attractive to an owner. But is, is there a worry, Pat, where, you know, maybe an analyst or an associate's overstepping trying to do too much? Maybe yeah, you don't want to be a managing of VPs. Yeah, you don't want to be a managing analyst. And I think that's where like self, um, it, it, not introspection, what's the word? A self-awareness. A good amount of self-awareness and knowing what you don't know is actually really valuable because if you go in there or, and like, I know how to save, you're like at Goldman, you're like, let me just tell you how it's going to be. I know yeah. how to save operations. This or I've heard good things of having a mentor, but like a proper mentor, yeah. right? There's ways to go about having a proper mentor, not, you know, blasting out thousands of emails for cold, uh, for, for coffee chats. I yeah. think, you know, there's the importance yeah. of having like a single mentor and treating that as almost like a, you know, a proper relationship with that individual. Um, and I've heard that that pays dividends in personal life, but yeah. also career life specifically. For sure. Find the best person, really. Like, find the best MD. Just try to work with them, really. Yeah. Anyways, guys, Wherever great chat there. Yeah. Let, let's take a pivot here. Uh, along the same lines, actually. I mean, talking about signing away your life,
Uh, we know obviously MDs are not seeing their kids much as, as Pat mentioned based on his experience, but um, there's, there, we're hearing some rumblings here that, you know, as an analyst, A1, not being allowed to take vacations, is that normal? Obviously in the investment banking realm, it may seem normal for anyone working as an accountant and audit, um, you know, pretty normal. They're going to be holding their vacation cards close to them, but you want to take this one first. Um, what are your thoughts around not being allowed to take a vacation as an A1? I mean, uh, that's CEO when you're like trying to prove yourself. So honestly, I come from that field. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's what's expected, to be honest. And it's more competitive now. So like, what's that one thing that sets you apart? Is it like turning up to work day after day when your colleagues want to, I mean, they want to take a vacation or like, what, what are you doing extra? So it's just those extra hours you put in. In the early years, that actually matter. Like, that's what carries you longer but then it's is it not, healthy like it's I don't not know, healthy like, yeah it's not healthy like but then that's but, what's but you know what no, like nothing's, nothing's healthy nowadays nothing everything's there's something you could find you could find an avenue to find that everything there's something bad in everything for you yeah, i'm all for true. what you're saying sweat equity is the way to go prove yourself um you know it's just that's just how it is I'm, depends, I'm in that it boat. just depends on the culture of the bank. Like some some banks, they like force you to take your time off. Other banks are like, "What do you mean you're going to take a day?" Like, but, but Pat, they come work on Thanksgiving, you, come work on they Christmas. Force you to take your 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 time off, but are they really happy about that? Yeah. No. Let Let's be real here. Are they really no. happy about that? No. Right. And so, like, I think that being aware of like, you know, it sucks that that's the. I mean, that's the reality. We're actually going to release our uh, working conditions survey soon for IB. Um, out to the community to kind of track, see how things are trending. But my guess is things probably haven't improved that much. It was when we released it in 2020, it was horrible. It got a little bit better in 2021. Um, but I don't, I don't suspect it's really moved that much. Uh, no matter how many protected Fridays and protected weekends there are, there's ways around it. Um, and I think some of those initiatives have slid a little bit since their initial introduction a few years ago. It's also, it's also the, the famous line, right? Money doesn't sleep. So yeah. <laughs> something needs to get done. And they, although, you know, they say, you know, things, yeah, sure. Thanksgiving you have off, but Hey, if, if there's a crazy client out there that wants to do some business and a deal needs to get done and that VP starts setting up their associates or the associates reaching out to analysts, that stuff's going to pay, uh, you know, it's going to be remembered you know, come time when, you know, there's that promotion cycle coming through or open head count. And who do we look to, to yeah. grab? You have to be relied upon, I think at the end of the day. And, and I understand there has to be a healthy balance, but, also, at the same time, you pick and choose when to have that healthy balance. Understand, Sarah, Sarah are there any jobs where you get where you're at where like they won't even let you go to your like parents' birthday or your sister's birthday or like a, a wedding? Well, they would cancel uh, it no. or call you in the middle of a wedding. I, I think um, most of the jobs uh, even uh, make you work uh, during vacation. If yeah. you uh, took a vacation, uh, you may receive many requests that uh, you have it's to It's the same bring. thing. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. That's interesting. How about UAE, Nabil? Oh, it's the same thing. It's Pretty more competitive, competitive now, if anything. Yeah, it's just crazy. People are just willing to work. But they, they do have like mandatory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they have mandatory offs like by law, but then it's the same thing. Like even if you're off, you're probably working. I mean, in yeah. finance, it's just been that way. Like, why well, like guys, don't feel bad. It's the same thing for me. I come back from the week <laughs> off and I'm drowning in emails for two weeks. Or or you're bringing your laptop with you, Pat. I know you say you bring yeah. your, your laptop. But I yeah. think it depends on the firm as well, on the culture of the firm. Yeah. Uh, a few employers um, are afraid that uh, the employees will uh, make burnout or something. 
Yeah. So uh, they force you to take it. Yeah, or they try to force you. Yeah, but then with uh, with the uh, with the recession that's coming up and the layoffs, what do you guys think? Like, is it going to be like? Um, is this going to be the new normal? Because just before the recession, you had people just like they gave a lot of importance to work-life balance, mental health, all of that. And I'm I'm just thinking like it's probably not like all that's no longer like at the forefront of what HR wants to do. They just don't care anymore. Like you have less people working the same yeah. amount of job. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think it's it's probably going to be. I mean, we'll see with the survey how it comes in. But my guess is it's probably not improved much. If anything, it's getting worse because there's more pressure. Yeah. You know, there's more pressure and there's less employee kind of leverage. It becomes just naturally more, even if even if the employer is not trying to, um, it becomes more of like nobody wants to take that vacation um, because it makes them yeah. feel more vulnerable. Yeah, and I think that uh, employees shouldn't take uh, vacations in the wrong time. If uh, there are pressure, work pressure or something, I think they should choose uh, the proper time to take their vacation. As yeah, as unfortunately, as a first-year analyst, it's usually not a really good time. <laughs> if you're drowning and you're understaffed, like if, if the whole group's understaffed, and that's that's the whole thing. Um, it's unfortunate. It's not healthy. It's the dynamic of a sell-side job, though, unfortunately. It's, it's not healthy for personal health, but it's healthy for the bank accounts. So it's, I mean, it's a trade-off. <laughs> and that's it's like, give me that bonus and I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off at the end exactly, of the day. Yeah, yeah. You're, working, you're working crazy, but and you're seeing your Yeah, if you're getting account, paid over right? 200K your first year out of school, I mean, there's going to be some pain for yeah. that. Yeah, and then just maybe think a little bit long-term on what your life's going to look like moving forward once you have that foundational base there of, yep. of cash, right? As long as you're not living paycheck to paycheck. But anyways... Um, I think we could all agree that obviously sweat equity is important. It's pretty normal in the finance realm. Um, but it's actually a perfect segue because naturally, as everyone here knows, um, you know, you put your time in, in investment banking, the exit opportunities um, are just amazing um, in terms of just personal career development, but also, again, um, some of the roles that you get from a financial perspective as well um, for your own personal finances. So two uh, very common uh, exit ops for investment banking specifically is both the hedge fund space, but also the private equity space. Um, curious to hear, uh, I guess, Pat, we'll start off with you, given you have some experience making the jump from IV to PE. Um, why would maybe someone choose PE over hedge fund or even vice versa? If you have uh, you know a different point of view now, maybe someone choosing a hedge fund, the hedge fund space over the private equity space. Yeah, I think this decision is actually not that hard to make in terms of like personality and what you like um you can think of like they're both buy side technically but they're very different like hedge fund being short-term time horizons you're you're pitching your ideas to your p your portfolio manager you know putting executing trades um, depends on the strategy whether it's like long short all this stuff whereas private equity it's much more slow much more deliberate these are all private companies not publicly traded companies um and it's like you know a much more structured process so hedge funds, a little more cutthroat in the sense of like you're getting, you know, your score every single day. Um, whereas private equity, it's a little bit more like, do you have the skill set to drive a deal and like, you know, start a deal, close a deal, help kind of, you know, bring, do all the diligence, bring the whole process. Like, are you good at managing um, processes versus hedge funds? It's more like just pure um like pure kind of horsepower in terms of like, okay, what can you, what ideas can you generate and are they good? Are they, are they so, good consistently? Would it be fair to assume hedge fund space, higher risk, bigger upside, private equity space? And again, risk being could be defined various ways here, but still P, higher risk. But 
in terms of like the wheeling and dealing every day, the, the much higher risk, that head fund, much higher risk. Yeah. And then at the top end of it, yeah, you get some crazy outsized rewards for people who are really good consistently. And so that's the hard part is like, do you want to bet on yourself that you can like beat the market consistently? Um, most people can't. <laughs> well, as Warren says, no one beats the market. Warren, yeah. I remember there's that thing Warren Buffett came out and but said- But that's, that's uh, like blended. Like if you take a blended group of hedge funds as a, as a, there are people who, there are funds that consistently do beat the market. He was he was challenging hedge funds and, and placing his own capital and saying, you know, like in, a, in a bet format saying, you know- um, That was a basket you of won't beat the You won't beat the ETF, like an S&P 500 ETF, right? You won't and the, yeah, and he won. He crushed it. He crushed it. He, he the, the ETFs won. And he said, well, yeah, exactly. Donate to a chair because he doesn't want anyone's money he's got more than enough for himself but yeah i remember that was uh that was uh but my point is like there are funds out there that do seem to have an edge yeah Um, renaissance and all that right yeah like they they're using both algo fundamental and algo kind of uh blended strategies stuff like that um you know, SAC Capital for a long time with all the insider trading, I think had a good edge. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's even, I don't know if anyone's been seen, uh, came out on Netflix, I think about a week ago, the Bernie Madoff doc, which has been incredibly interesting. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Is it good? Yeah, very good. Actually, very good. Oh. I'm only, uh, I'm on episode this, uh, two out of four, so still very uh, introductory, but man, just a, an absolute complete liar. <laughs> just <laughs> fraud statements. Just, it was crazy to see, but uh that's a whole different conversation in its own, but yeah, I mean, uh, any, and Nabil, what do you think? Well, if you had to choose right now, say you, you spent three to four years in investment banking, you know, grinded, you grinded your tail off. What are you choosing P or, or the hedge fund space? Uh, honestly, just depends on stability. I think B is just way more stable comparatively like HF, like, like Patrick was mentioning is like super cutthroat. So risk if I had, adjusted, like, your risk adjusted. Yeah. Returns are better with PE. I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Think- yeah. If, how do you I mean, unless people... I'm like super good at something that like is going to bring in money and I'm confident uh, and then I don't have much, I mean, many responsibilities, then I'd probably go a, uh, hedge funds. Otherwise, I'd probably pick private equity any day. Just I much see. less. I mean, it's more stable. It's not you. It's your team. So, you know, you, you kind of like, uh, you're who, not like who's got singly the, who, responsible. Who has the bigger ego, though, of someone that's an all-star hedge fund uh, employee or fund manager or, you know, an all-star Hedge fund. Think hedge fund. <laughs> you, you, you need that for hedge funds. Yeah. It, it attracts a certain kind of people. Yeah. And those people tend to believe a lot in themselves. Otherwise, as long, you as, not, as, long as you weren't a crypto hedge fund in, in 2022, <laughs> <laughs> as long yeah. as you, uh, or EV. you weren't Almeida, Almeida capital. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Almeida research. I think they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But it's funny how most of the all-stars from back then still continue to say they're pretty good. So you can kind of like imagine the ego or whatever that comes with that that role, right? They're, they'll still say like they're the best. Well, you're managing and billions ideas. of dollars and you're, it's like you're moving markets. You're making speeches on why you're shorting certain companies. Like what's his, uh, not green, not green, but um, what's his name? Um, Einhorn. Barry. And oh. Burry, yeah, Burry saying the yeah. whole market's short. He calling it. Uh, <laughs> love that. Yeah. Love it. Um, but yeah, let's move on. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Last, uh, last topic here, guys. So uh, ridiculous buy side requests. So obviously, um, more so with the with the PE side of things here. Um, I mean, everyone obviously with the PE side, you're, you're dealing with clients on a daily basis, businesses wanting to sell, or you guys are positioning, um, you know, different. Uh, M&A sort of activities for your clients. 
Um, how do you handle clients who are unreasonable in terms of their requests with your workflow? Um, again, actually ties into, you know, it's easy. There's a strategy. Allocated. It's called slow down. Don't be so responsive. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the customer, it's, you, you want to, uh, manage the customer service that you're providing to your clients. I guess, obviously that's not, uh, as apparent as like, other sort of businesses, but obviously with the PE realm, you want to set an expectation and not have too much of a. Uh, a perfect cadence, I guess, if you want to. Say. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these um, private equity professionals were former bankers. They know the drill. So if you're not like being super responsive right away because their their requests are getting ridiculous, like, hey, can you sort this for me? Um, and it's something where like they could just open the Excel file and do it themselves. I think if you just don't jump right away, um, then it's okay. Um, especially if they're especially if their requests are ridiculous. Um, I think there were some funny ones um, posted to the forums, but we'll put the links in the show notes to all these all these top discussions, and you guys can check them out. Um, or, or how, what? What even? Uh, what do you think, guys? I won't even like. Obviously, you know, you go, you made it to PE. You're you know, all star IB individual had a great um, you know short career there. Um, studied your ass off in school, but then you have you know a client that you know has a massive business, five hundred million dollar business, but could barely use computer <laughs> barely use a computer which were um is not as weird as it sounds to be honest with you so how would you guys deal with that you obviously don't want to come up come up too condescending to your clients um because obviously you want to keep them happy because there's a competitive space out there but uh any tips and tricks on, on how to manage that without getting too pissed off when you're already working you know upwards of 80 hour weeks peace i don't know nabil any any <laughs> ideas on how to i mean it's just people take deep right? breaths like yeah, take deep breaths, but like somewhere reasonable, get it to them if it's, uh, but then like nice, quick, like what Barrett was saying. And then it depends on urgency too. You could tell them like, uh, but when you show them you've done some other work that's more important, they generally don't like push you or like take it in a bad way. But then you shouldn't like stand off and say, oh, I'm not going to do it. Like that just rubs many people off the wrong way, really. So you can't just be like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Like, uh, yeah, they're the client. Like, they can ask you to do whatever they want. They're paying you millions of exactly. dollars. Exactly. Like in fees. Like. Um, I think that uh, the most, most important thing is uh, that you shouldn't make them feel stupid that uh, they cannot handle small tasks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Pat, I know you spent some time in PE um, prior to uh, really kicking off things with Wall Street Oasis. Have you gotten a, a crazy, ridiculous request that you could, you could remember? Um, well, I think, I think the question, I think the thread was about bankers getting ridiculous requests from the buy side clients. I think that's what it was. Right. So yeah, we're okay. banking, yeah. like getting PE people being like, Hey, can you do all this work for me? Um, you know, I wasn't working in P in the P when I was doing restructurings and stuff. So like I wasn't, our clients weren't PE funds, but, um, yeah, I, I could definitely see like, if you're sending them something that isn't like fully fully vetted they're just going to ask you to do it for them because they like they see you they see you as like the person providing the service so if if you if they can outsource it back to you like if they don't have the format of the, of the model or the excel in the right way or for whatever reason like there's not an analysis they'll they'll do that i mean usually the ridiculous requests come more in diligence they're like hey give me here we here are the you know 45 questions we have specifically around like customer concentration mix and all this stuff and it's more around that that, that, you know, sometimes you just don't have that data. And so I think it makes it harder. 
has there ever been a situation where PE counterparties kind of like talk down to the investment banking team thinking they're, they're oh, better yeah. better than them? Yeah, or it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of ahead of you. <laughs> there's a little bit of that sometimes, but I don't think, I think people try to keep it, at least if you're professionally, try to keep it respectful and stuff like that. Because Email, emails are all monitored. It, you know, because the PE funds depend on the banks sometimes for, for deal flow and they want to make sure they're getting, they're getting, you know, they're getting in front of deals. So they don't want to, like burn any bridges or anything like that so yeah. um yeah i think that's it all right well yeah great uh, i think that that kind of wraps up top five discussion topics uh everyone for for this week um great conversation and uh, i guess we'll see you guys next week all right guys thank you cheers and thanks to you my listeners at wall street oasis if you have any suggestions whatsoever please don't hesitate to send them my way patrick at wallstreetoasis.com and until next time